0: Hello, hello, hello. Jason Bay here. You can call me JBay. Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. If you're checking out the podcast for the first time, welcome. Glad to have you here. This podcast is for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with prospects, but hate when everything else that you need to do as a salesperson ends up getting in the way of you landing meetings to generate new business. So if that's ever happened to you, as an account executive or a full cycle sales rep or you're managing a team of people that you'd love to get to prospect more, you're definitely in the right place. Today, we're talking to my man, Jeff Bajoric. We got another episode of Sales Rants coming to you. Let's get to it. All right, so we got four topics we're jamming on today. Uh, One, My man, Jeff, is going to talk about struggling with motivation and what to do when that happens and finding your why and sort of a deeper purpose behind all of the prospecting and the cold calling and the cold emailing that you might be doing, how to really get centered around a bigger purpose around that so you're motivated to do some of the stuff that can be a bit of a grind. Two, I'm going to talk about what could get in the way. That's a question that I ask myself a lot when I'm planning my week and what I coach reps around is, Hey, that sounds like a really good plan, but for the last month, you've said that that was your plan and you haven't done it. What's getting in the way and how are you planning for uh, overcoming that? We're going to talk about how to have more more fun, uh, excuse me, with your virtual meetings. And we're also going to talk about something that, I don't know, I've been thinking about a lot, but for whatever reason, have never really taught in any formal capacity, and that's reverse engineering success. You'll get a little bit better idea. That's the last rant that we're going to do. But how do we reverse engineer the success that we're looking for in landing a meeting, let's say? How do we start with the end in mind and what the prospect would need to respond with? We'll talk a little bit more like that. Okay, cool. That's what we're going to be covering today. Before we get to the episode, if you're listening to this and you're a rep, what I know about reps that want to be top reps, so reps that want to, you know, add you know, 40, 50K to their income. Uh, people that want to double maybe their income. People that want to get into leadership positions. Maybe money's not the big focus for you. Maybe it's making a bigger impact, becoming an expert in your industry. What I know about those folks from my experience working with them and being a top rep myself is that listening to podcasts and watching webinars and reading books all day is not what those folks spend time on. It's really about how do I spend as much quality time as possible on opening new opportunities and then taking existing ones to the finish line, closing. I think the big challenge that we come up against with that is, well, how do we know what to work on that's going to move the needle the most? So if I only have an hour or two per week for my own development, how do I work on the thing that's going to move the needle for me the most and get me what I want? And if you've ever thought about this, this is exactly why I started Outbound Squad. It's a program for reps who crave accountability, structure, and results over theory. If you've listened to this podcast, and you know I'm really big on how do we combine the theory and the tactics together? You got to have both. And if you hate hitting plateaus in your sales career, this might be a good fit for you. We provide the best coaching around that you can find. We have killer content. Again, very confident it's the best stuff you'll find in Outbound. And then also we got a community at the time of recording this of about 50 reps in Outbound Squad. We got guys like Ethan crushing his meeting targets every week and landing a meeting from every one in three cold calls. We have folks like Brenda who are closing deals as an AE while scheduling three meetings that week and setting another two demos on top of that for the week after. Uh, we got guys like Ethan, uh, Evan, excuse me, using simple bump follow up emails to secure meetings with chief analytics officers and a bunch more success stories I could share with you. But if any of this is something that you relate with and resonate with, reach out to me, jason at blissfulprospecting.co, put squad into the subject line, and I'll share some more information for you. I really want to know if you're up for the challenge. It's application only. I don't let everyone in. And the whole goal here is to create a 300 group, if you know about Spartans, a 300 group of Spartans and badasses that can help each other get helped and also provide accountability and community as well. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, send me an email, jason at blissfulprospecting.co. I'd love to hear from you. Put squad in the subject line, and I'll share some more info. All right, let's get to this episode of Rants. So, I mean, you have a podcast called The Why and the Buy. So, so this why component, is it's a very familiar topic to you. But I'm kind of curious... Because you come across a lot of reps, just like I do, that struggle with motivation, like hitting their activity targets, you know, prioritizing the effort parts of stuff that they don't really enjoy doing. And a lot of times the advice is, well, just do it anyways, like suck it up, make it happen. And I think that you have, from what it sounds like, a very kind of different take on this around, is this even maybe something that you should be doing? Or is there a different way to create this kind of alignment around your why? How should someone kind of approach doing things that they find themselves procrastinating
1: a lot? I think there are some subtleties here that you have to dig into because we all have to do things that we don't love to do. Okay. So let's just get that out of the way. Sometimes you just have to do something you don't love to do. And I think it was our friend, Anthony in Reno said that discipline might've been Jeb Blunt, but one of those guys that we like all know and listen to, uh, he said, discipline is you doing the things that you don't want to do because You know, they have to be done. And I think that what might be missing from the end of that is because they need to be done because they will help you accomplish something you really want to do, right? Now, my wife is my best teacher when it comes to this, because she says, Jeff, we don't do anything you don't want to do. You just, you don't do anything you don't want to do. I remember coming home one time, I was like out with my friends or something like that. And it was like, oh, you know, we got carried away and we ended up staying out later. She's like, dude, don't try to blame your friends. You don't do anything you don't want to do. And, and I've kind of modified that to, you know, we don't do anything that we're not compelled to do. And I think that's the thing. When it comes to some of the things that we just, we know we need to do, but we can't get ourselves to do it. It's kind of the flip of that that law that she kind of shared with me. It's like, if you just can't get yourself to do it, you probably really don't want to do it. And then you got to dig into why you really don't want to do it. And that brings in a bigger, you know, question if like, okay, if prospecting is just something you really don't want to do, why are you an SDR? if outbound, you know, putting yourself in or even inbound and and just doing, going through and doing really thorough discovery or keeping yourself really well organized and things like that. If you don't have, if you're not able to muster up the discipline to do that kind of stuff, then are you really in the right role? Are you, is what you're asking yourself to do aligned with what your purpose is? And that, you know, ties into the why and the by and, and how you kind of led this segment off. So, okay,
0: I have another take on this too That's I think that would be good for us to talk about is because a lot of what you talk about is finding your why. And I think that speaking from experience, sometimes you can get into a mode where you're doing, there's a lot of output and you kind of forgot the reason why you were doing it. So it's almost like, how do we find value, like alignment? How do we find a way to align this with something that's important to us? And I'll give you a really quick example around because I'm fairly introverted. And Sarah, my wife is the more social one in our relationship. And there's, for the longest time, it was like a lot of work for her to get me to plan stuff socially for us to do. She would take on almost the entire burden. It's still something I don't do well at. But as soon as the tie-in for me was, well, we're going to have more friends that we can like hang out with and you know, honestly have people that can help you out when you're in a bind or ask favors from. That really, that part of it, okay, cool. Because it wasn't like I was incapable of doing it. No one's incapable of making 50 calls or whatever it is, you know, to hit their activity targets. Is there anything to that around, Hey, maybe I just don't actually know what that bigger purpose thing is for me. So I don't have anything to connect it to
1: a hundred percent. Connecting those dots is really important, right? So you want to make club Well, you know, you're going to have to have a full pipeline because deals don't close themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And there are a lot of things that you're going to have to do in a lot of places. You're going to have to sharpen your skills throughout the sales process in order to do that. But don't tell me you have some grandiose sales goal or professional goal, but you can't do the entry-level basic stuff like prospecting. Help me understand, Jason. How are you going to do that? If you're not willing to do the simple stuff, and I'm not saying it's easy and nobody loves to do it. If you're not willing to do the simple stuff, how are you going to accomplish this goal? And so if this goal really actually means something to you, and then we outline all the things that have to be done, non-negotiables, if this is really aligned with who you want to be or what you want to accomplish, then you are de facto accepting all the things that need to be taken, uh, you know, need to be taken under, uh, into consideration along doing that. If you're not willing to take all those things into consideration, I'm questioning whether or not you really want this simple, quick story. My roommate in college went to medical school. We actually went to high school together and we made great roommates together and got along really well. And I'm smart enough to go to medical school. Could have saw what he did. And I was like, no, thanks right? I saw him work way too hard. And you know what he does now? He's a cancer surgeon and he saves two dozen lives every week. I mean, the guy's a hero, no uncertain terms about that. I saw that, even saw that I was capable of it, but saw I didn't want to do it. And so I chose another path, right? And I think that is something that, I mean, people don't realize that they do have those choices, And sometimes they talk themselves into wanting something they don't actually want, and you really have to be clear on why you're doing what you want or why you're doing what you're doing, so that you can make sure that you're okay doing all the things that are going to get you there. So there's an interesting question, and I love that you brought this up. An interesting question around goal setting and and along those lines. You work with clients and you were telling me a story of a couple of clients you were working with where you're asking them to set their goals for the week, right? And this was actually right out of Outbound Squad, right? So, okay, what are you guys gonna accomplish this week? And the members of that community, they jump in and they say, yeah, I'm gonna do this and rah, rah, and it's Monday morning, so everybody's fired up. And then it's like, okay, what could get in your way? Like, what a brilliant question. Where did that come from? God,
0: I think that might've been a coaching question that I was taught from my coaches. You know, one of the things that they're really big on is at the end of a coaching meeting, yes, hey, Jeff, what are next steps for you? Okay, cool, I'm gonna go do this. Well, what could get in the way of you doing that? And when they were doing this on me, it was kind of meta, right? (laughs) You know, coach doing it to a coach, who's gonna gonna do it to her. (laughs) But it got me thinking about certain roadblocks that I encounter throughout my week that things that just get in the way of me wanting to, to do something or be having the ability to do it. And I don't know if it's always a tactical thing for everyone, but oftentimes what will get in the way for me is it's mental stuff. It's, well, hey, I might feel weird pitching my program to people because that feels salesy to me, right? Coming from a salesperson is kind of funny. That might feel salesy. Or, uh, you know, doing this, reaching out to this person who has way more experience than you and all this other stuff. Well, what if they don't want to collaborate with you? You know, and it's just like this whole mental battle. And one of the things that we've been doing, and I think if you're watching this, listening to this, is think about when you're tackling your week, if there's a history, a pattern, because it connects really well to the previous rant, if there's a pattern of you not following through with the things that you say that you're going to do, look at why that happens. I don't think it's as simple as throwing an activity target. That feels really good. That's like having a New Year's resolution. It feels really good to make a declarative statement of, oh, I'm going to do this. But to not go back and think about, well, based on my patterns and history of setting goals and, you know, declaring things, what typically gets in the way, it puts this problem solving cap on that. You almost start to think like a project manager and sales is really interesting to me because it's, there's so many skills involved with them, but being a project manager is actually a skill that is heavily required for success in sales. You're managing deal manager, maybe is a better way to say it, (laughs) you know, but you're managing your week, you're managing your prospect, you're managing their internal process of how they pitch it. But one of the things you need to manage is yourself. And you need to know those things that could get in the way and be a little bit proactive about thinking it'll completely change the way that you think of things.
1: Well, and no two weeks are exactly the same. And, you know, we've noticed this particularly during the pandemic was, you know, everybody's working from home. Now there are different factors that could get in the way. We knew that kids could get in the way. We knew that pets could get in the way. We knew that the lawn service next door could get in the way if it's in at the wrong time and your office is on the first floor. Like, you know, there are a lot of these things that can happen. And it's really interesting is salespeople also like routines, so, okay, I'm going to make 50 calls every day this week or whatever it is. And if you just make that your standard kind of standing goal every time, you forget that, oh, wait, we have an all-hands meeting for the morning on Wednesday. That's going to take some some time away from me, right? Or like we've got... You know, now that it's post-pandemic, we're having some friends visit us in town. And so we're going to meet them for dinner this night. And then we're all doing a field trip together, you know, Thursday morning. And it's like, oh, okay. well, I just lost two half days there. Well, wait a second. I either have to adjust my metric or I have to make up for that time. And, you know, it gets back to Covey and plan monthly, plan weekly, plan daily kind of stuff. But not only is it important to ask that question, it's important to ask that question of yourself regularly Because the situation is constantly changing. What could get in the way of me making my prospecting calls this week is different than what could have gotten in the way last week is different than what might get in the way next week. And as you start to, I think, make that part of your routine, you start to become a little bit more agile and it becomes a part of your mindset. It's one of those things where if you ask yourself that regularly, you'll find that you don't need to ask yourself that. You don't need to remind yourself to ask yourself that question as often because you're already just thinking along those lines. Yes, I love this because and let's use some really practical examples because you mentioned
0: one that I hear a lot of times is internal stuff comes up. Legal needs me because I need to approve a contract that uh, we're going to need to close a deal. My boss wants to meet with me. Oh, we have these standing team meetings that go over sometimes. So when you start to think of tactically, how do I anticipate that stuff? It could be as simple as something. Hey, instead of making all of those calls in a 90 minute block, 60 minute block, one thing Ethan does, he's in outbound squad, is he just breaks up. 20 30 minute blocks throughout the day to make his calls instead of doing it in one big chunk because he's less likely to procrastinate that, that way and it's there's less likely for something to come up in that 30 minute block that needs his attention because it's only 30 minutes his house is not going to catch on fire probably and during that time where he can't you know has to be attentive to it like nothing's
1: going to happen okay well let's even go let's just say that something comes up okay? Instead of one 60 minute block, if you have three 20-minute blocks, let's say something comes up at 9 o'clock when you're prospecting with scheduling. Now, you only lost a third of your prospecting time. You still have the 11 o'clock, you still have the three o'clock or whenever Ethan, you know, sets his, his schedule up. But the things that you're you're hedging, essentially, you're like, okay, something could get in the way, but if it gets in the way, it doesn't wipe out all my activity. And I have an opportunity two more times that day to reset, maybe turn up the volume a little bit, turn up the intensity. And in those two 20-minute sessions, you could do four Fifty minutes of prospecting instead of 40, you know, just to, to make sure you can catch up a little bit. That's such a great strategy because look, if we know anything, if we learned anything over the past two years, it's that the least probable thing that could possibly happen might just happen. It doesn't change the fact that we have a job to do. Let's get it done. Yes. One last thing
0: I want to share. I love that we're getting super tactical with this is that if a lot of internal stuff comes up, let's say with your manager, let your manager know proactively when you're going to be making cold call blocks and say, my goal is to hit 150 of aisles this week. And unless it's urgent, I, I'm hoping that we can prevent any interruption because I really want to hit my activity targets and set my meetings. What manager is going to say no to that? You know, with legal, one of the things I worked on with a client that helped them a lot is, well, stuff can come up with a really big, important enterprise deal. Ask legal in advance, hey, Jeff, I'm just curious because I want to be... I want to be responsive when you need me because I know that can be really time sensitive. When do you think you're going to be working on my stuff so that I can block off an hour around that so that I'm going to be there when you need me? And now, you know, proactively when they're going to be working on your stuff, when you need to be attentive. And that's the big thing with Covey stuff that I got is there's certain times where you need to be really responsive. That's not very often. But if you can proactively predict those times when you need to be responsive, Now it doesn't become you working on something that's urgent that doesn't need to be urgent. Yep.
1: There's a place for everything and everything has a place. And if you can agree to when that place is going to be, it's like even taking that task list that just kind of weighs on you. Or maybe it doesn't weigh on you, it weighs on me. And if I just took all 10 of those things or whatever, and scheduled little appointments for them later in the week, okay, I know when that's going to get done. It's out of my brain right now. And so I can focus on what's in front of me rather than worried about what's coming or be worried about what's coming later. It makes a huge difference. That's a great suggestion. So this next
0: topic is something you brought up that's near and dear to my heart. You know, how do we make virtual meetings more fun? And one thing that I like to do <laughs> that I've noticed, and if you're listening to this, you don't see, but Jeff's got some Zoom ski goggles on. What do you do with your clients to, or just any of the virtual meetings with prospects or whoever? What, uh, why is it important that it's fun first off? Because then there's a lot of serious people out there who are like, well, why would we have fun? And what are, what are some of the things that you do to make it a little more fun?
1: Well, I love these filters and I don't know where it or when they came through or whatever. It was probably middle of 2020. I was just playing around and I noticed that I can do ski goggles. I can have a wonderful handlebar mustache, a very dainty handlebar mustache. Yes, uh, I can wear a beret. I can be a recent graduate. The technology's there to do cool stuff with. I could even be an alien. I could be, I'll, I'll finish the segment as uh, Mike Wazowski here. The, the The idea that we have these tools that can be very serious. And sometimes the background is important, right? I know a lot of people working from home that don't have office home office setups the way you and I do. So it's, you know, maybe you don't want to see the chaos that's going on in the back, totally get it. And particularly for the kids that had to do zoom at school and stuff like that. But sometimes it can take the ordinary or the boring or the less than professional and make it professional. Sometimes you can just screw around and show a little bit of your personality And what are we talking about? You know, personal branding and all the stuff that you hear about on LinkedIn. Why isn't this a part of it? Why can't you show a little bit of a sense of humor? I think if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. And this ties into stuff we've already talked about today. You know, are you doing stuff that aligns with your personal goals? Are you putting yourself in a position to succeed? What's not fun about succeeding, right? And why can't you use fun and humor and, and just, why can't you be delighted while you succeed? And I think too, just given how serious everybody's been, like, I mean, you show up to a Zoom meeting, flip your camera on and you've got this big old eyeball over your face. Like every time I do this, you crack up like this. It's perfect. That is exactly the point. All right. I'll spare you the rest. (laughs) So what do you say to people that have, because I hear
0: this a lot, especially depending on the industry, which as you know, certain industries are more buttoned up than others. What, what do you say to someone that has a fear of
1: not being professional? Don't take yourself so seriously. It's a zoom setting for crying out loud. Listen, I'm not saying show up in a ripped up Slayer t-shirt to the courtroom for, you know, arraignments or something like that. You, You know, like who doesn't love to start a meeting off with a laugh? And that's what we're talking about here. And you can turn it off as quickly as you turn it on. And, you know, we all heard about the attorney who actually had some kind of cat filter on us and couldn't figure it out. And it was really kind of embarrassing or whatever. Listen, that guy's going to get more clients because he was a human being and recognized in like the most terrifying situation possible that he was still human. He's going to be okay. I'm not worried about him. So... Yes, you can take yourself too seriously. And yes, just because you start a meeting with a filter on that gives you a fancy mustache, it doesn't mean that you can't be taken seriously. Know your audience a little bit, but I think if you push the envelope with a little, just a little bit with some humor in an appropriate way, that's never not worked out for me. At the very least, you take it back and you say, oh, you know what, sorry. And I've done this before. Ah, that punchline landed terribly. Sorry. I will retract my joke and we'll play straight from here on out. And it's good. And, but I think it shows someone that you don't take yourself so seriously. And I think that's something most of us do.
0: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. The, I got to, I'm forgetting who it was. I had on a podcast, we're talking about discovery calls, but one thing that he shared that I think is really relevant to this conversation is he said, you know, try to speak to the prospect as if you're someone on their team. And I thought that was really kind of an interesting way to think about it because The conversation and the way you go about the conversation are completely different. And it kind of breaks that. uh, Bilal Batrawi, a good friend, talks about the social paradigm between a seller and a buyer. It kind of breaks that, you know, and I wonder if there's something there to think about how do you interact with peers through Zoom when you hop on with people on your team? Because I don't know about you, every team meeting that I've had the privilege of being able to join in on, but that's always cool with clients, you know, when they're doing a team meeting, you join All of them are having a ton of fun the first couple minutes of the meeting. They're giving each other a hard time. They're making fun of each other. Everyone's willing to be the butt of the joke. I almost wonder if there's some sort of element of that, of just how do you normally communicate with other people internally? And let's pretend that the prospect is like you're on their team. How would you talk to them if you were teammates?
1: You don't need to go in on the first time and be calling everybody dude or bro or whatever. Like there's, there's some propriety that you need to have. But every high-performing culture I've ever been a part of or witnessed has had an element of fun with it. So you can kind of assess the culture a little bit by how light it is. And, you know, when people are performing well, they work hard and they play hard. So you can kind of sense something about that culture, but why not introduce it? You know, why not bring it up? Why not be the one? Because listen, here's the thing. If you don't like your internal meeting, I promise you're not the only one. And if you don't like your internal meeting, chances are nobody likes the internal meeting. So there's no reason for you not to just show up with a filter on Zoom or wearing an ironic t-shirt on a casual Friday and, you know, or, or whatever it is, and just try to lighten the mood a little bit. Meetings shouldn't have that tension that you can cut with a knife, you know what I mean? In them, those meetings are the least productive. So again, be willing to go out on a limb just a little bit, right? Be willing to be the one who calls out the elephant in the room. Like, you know, you guys recognize how bad these meetings are. Can we do anything, anything to make them better? Or I'm just going to stop calling, or I'm going to start calling in sick on Fridays when we have meetings, right? Like be the one who stands up and, and acknowledges that. And it just, it changes the whole tone. I've never seen that go poorly. Have you ever
0: seen that go poorly? Not unless things are going really bad in the company, which maybe you should think about going to a different
1: company anyways. Yeah. Some of that's just reading the room, right? And if you're a seller who's been doing this longer than 15 minutes, you got a little bit of context about the air in the room and, and, you know, is this something that's really going to, chances are, if it's your instinct to do it, you can probably get away with it. If you really are like, oh my gosh, I would never, ever do that. One, you probably, it's probably not the right environment. Two, you probably won't have the comfort level or the gravitas to pull it off. But if your instinct is, I should probably ask that question or, oh, you know, it'd be really good. Don't sick your attorneys on me, but you can probably get away with that. I got something I wanted to, another thing I wanted to bring in. I've worked with clients in the past where they just can't seem to get good responses to their emails and, or at least the responses that they're looking for, right? And how many people come to you and ask, I'm just not getting the results I'm looking for. Can you help? And then you dig in a little bit to their their cadence or or their their style, and something becomes very very clear right away. And you know, based on what we talked about before we hit record here, the first thing that pops into my head is Covey again, and begin with the end in mind. Why don't you dig into that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So with the email thing, what's this? That's the best example. Is. What people want is a response, but their stuff is not respondable. I don't even know if that's a word. And I did this with a couple of clients and light bulbs just went off. And I thought it, it was kind of an interesting way to look at when you start with the end of mind, what people usually say is, well, I want to get at meetings from the emails that I send out. I'm like, okay, now let's talk really from a practical standpoint. When you've landed a meeting with a prospect, how do they respond to the email? Like specifically, what do they say? And nine times out of 10, it's some sort of sure, let's chat is usually what people respond with. So, okay. So we write that down on a document. We say, okay, we're going to start with that end in mind. What do we need to put in an email to get a prospect to respond? Sure. Let's chat. And when I start looking at what they're sending, there's all kinds of stuff in there around zero call to action at the end of an email. It'll be, um, so yeah, we're helping so-and-so with X, Y, Z. Let me know if you're interested. Interested in what? Right. (laughs) Yeah. interested. I I don't really know what interested in, or or you just drop a, uh, here's a piece of content that we wrote on this. Here's a case study with it. And then again, think about when you include a case study or some piece of content in email, what do you want the person to do? You want them to respond with, oh, this was really interesting.
1: It's so good because, and if you're listening to this, you have to tune into the video when you see it on LinkedIn, because- the blank look that's on your face, like the puzzled, confused, like almost deer in headlights look, that is exactly what your prospect is doing. If they go as far as to actually read your email and you put something in there and they're like, okay, well now what? If you believe that they're going to be so compelled by your PDF, that they're just going to reach back out and so want to you know, uh, discuss this with you, you're leaving deals on the table. There's such a small fraction of people who are so compelled and enthralled by what you've given them that they want to, to do that. And I've had clients argue with me, Jason, well no, it's all value, no ask. All value, no ask. all value. No... If there's that much value, why aren't you asking for something? Like please tell me why in any kind of a marketing piece or any kind of a sales process, you wouldn't at least ask for something, right? And let me know if you have any questions is not a call to action right? Can we just get that on the record?
0: <laughs> yeah. Let me know if you have any questions that should not, that should never be in any, especially a prospecting email. Let me know if you have any questions. It's too passive. So I think it's like the lesson here is think about and reverse engineer, not only the result, but really think practically of how you want someone to respond exactly what you want them to say. And your process has to get them to that point, right? Your roadmap or whatever you want to call it. You know, if we look at a couple really practical examples, I'll give you a couple techniques. One of them is this: there's a type of email that you can send that's really interesting, because a lot of times what people will do is they'll throw a video into an email and say, "Hey Jeff, I created a personalized video for you," and then you click on the video. And there's no, "Hey, can you look at this? I think this." There's nothing in there that gives me any evidence of what you want me to do with this. And the psychology behind this is that there's a lot of work. That prospects have to do on a daily basis, don't make your thing another thing that they have to think about, like another task, right? Cause they're just not going to do it. So something that you could do to get people to respond is one, you have to ask them questions, but a type of video that's really cool is, you know, Hey Jeff, I speak to a lot of VPs of sales and they tell me that they're usually focused or having challenges in one of these two areas, area number one, area number two, two bullet points with a one and a two. Which one of those resonates with you more reply and I'll record a personalized video to show you how your competitors are handling that right now. That video works brilliantly or that email works brilliantly because now they're saying one or two, you gave them specific directions on what to do. Most people love following directions, by the way, (laughs) you know, when you give them directions and there's value in it for them, that they're going to get something you're establishing how you want to communicate with them. And I've brought Ethan up a couple of times, but he's been using this with a lot of success, And then he responds back with a video, but they've asked for the video. They get, he's given them very clear directions on what he wants them to do with that email. So you really got to think that, are you reverse engineering that? Sure. Let's chat. Or if it's a cold call, Oh, this sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk further. Are you doing everything up to that point that you need to, in order to get that type of response? Because these closed ended statements where you just say something at the end of an email, it doesn't create this like loop that opens up that the prospect wants to close. One last point on that is like, if we were having a conversation right now and I didn't ask you any questions and I just made statements with what I wanted to do. So instead of, Hey, what do you think, Jeff? Feel free to share your thoughts. You may share your thoughts versus what are your thoughts? Right. You might share with a statement, or you might just completely change the topic if it's not something that you want to talk about, you know? So be really clear with
1: your call to action. I want to mention one thing really quickly because I love that you talked about asking questions versus just making statements, because questions tend to start conversations, statements tend to end them. What are you trying to do? It's a very simple black or white. The other thing that you kind of hinted at, and I'm going to take this to golf because when don't I? When you think about the specific response that you would like. And not just, okay, they're agreeing to a meeting. It's what are the words they're going to say? You start to think very specifically about how to elicit those words from them. And my golf analogy is, you know, aim small, miss small. I want to hit this into the middle of the fairway. No, I want to hit this on the right side of the fairway. Now, I want to hit this into the third stripe on the right, off the right edge of the fairway, whatever, because if you have a very finite target to aim at, your margin for error naturally becomes smaller. So, if you're just thinking, I need to have a call to action, okay, well, yes, you do. But if that call to action is, please send me your response, that's not a very good one. There's a wider berth for you to miss there. But if the very thing that you were trying to get is, yes, this is very interesting, then should we schedule some time to chat about it? Or I'm sorry, if your, your response is, okay, I'm mixing up the question and the response. If your response is, this is really interesting, we should chat about it, then shouldn't your call to action be, do you find this as interesting as I do? Is this something that you think would be worth talking about? Because I really think it could help you. And now all of a sudden your call to action is not only there, but it's really engaging and it's really personalized and it's, there's some enthusiasm there. I mean, what one do you think is going to work better? And so I love your, your, the small targets have small misses. So if you're very finite about what you want to have happen, your, the things that you do to lead up to that will reflect that intention.
0: Yeah. And just to button that up, I, I love that where you went with the specific thing and it's the more specific you are, the lower the lift. Yeah. Oh, for sure like from a mental calorie standpoint, I'm not having to burn any calories when you ask me if something sounds interesting because it's a yes or no question. You know what I mean? We
1: have mental calories too. There are mental calories. Do I have to cut those too? Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's like, think about the load that you're creating for the other person, the cognitive load, because dude, prospects are not, like they're not, unless they get an email from Elon Musk or you're at a really prominent, really well-known company, they aren't going to do and expend the mental energy that it takes to figure out what you want. Make it easy for him. All right. That was a fun one. Go check out Jeff Bajoric, his site, JeffBajoric.com. He's got a really great podcast. One of my favorites called the why and the buy. He runs either weekly or biweekly trainings, you know, through zoom and he's got a really cool community over at rethink the way you sell. So check it out. He's one of the people, one of my go-to resources in sales. And uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you dig it, make sure to subscribe, like, leave a review, all of that kind of good stuff. It really helps me continue to pump out episodes like this. All right. Thanks for tuning in and spend some
1: time with us. We'll see you next time.